As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hey, welcome back to another installment of the Wide Ride Podcast. I'm Manny Navarro, Miami Hurricanes beat writer for The Athletic. It is Cinco de Mayo. That's right, Friday, May 5th, uh, around 2.30 p.m. I got Carlos Ledo of the MIA All Day Podcast with me. It's been a couple weeks since I've had a show. Frank Tucker was with me last time. We did a lot of recruiting stuff. Carlos, it's been a while since you've come on with me because you've been busy with tax season. And now you're out of tax season and you're preparing alcohol. Tell, tell us about your process there, what you're making. Yeah, man. So uh, although I filed like 100 extensions over the last two weeks of tax season, I still got a bunch of work left to do over the course of the summer. I am taking today as just a me day with my family. And I'm going to do um, I'm going to I'm going to make something called summer beer that I found online. All so right. basically it's beer, uh, frozen lemonade and vodka. And you mix all that together. And it's supposed to be a nice, refreshing summer drink. Now, I'm going to take it up a notch, and I'm going to put it through a Brita filter. So that way, it's nice and pure, and you, can, you can't really taste the alcohol. So it could be nice and dangerous. Nice. It sounds nice. Uh, it sounds relaxing. It sounds like the kind of thing I want to be doing. Instead, I'm going to be in my uh, backyard pressure cleaning uh, and the front yard, by the way. I got to do both sides, uh, clean the walkway, all that kind of stuff. Um, so I will be out there sweating while you're enjoying a nice drink. It is the season, though. To be relaxing, right? I mean, it, we are in the middle of May. Uh, the Miami Hurricanes have wrapped up spring football. That was a couple of weeks back. Now it's sort of transfer portal season. And this is actually a big weekend for the Hurricanes. They got a lot of guys that they've been targeting in the portal that'll be coming through uh, this weekend and visiting. Um, we're going to get into that shortly. Um, I also wanted to make sure that we talk a little bit about um, the NFL draft. You had three Hurricanes drafted. A week ago, uh, Tyreek Stevenson goes in the second round. Will Mallory in the fifth and DJ Ivy in the seventh round. Uh, we'll talk about the draft some. Uh, Alabama's baseball coach, I don't know if you saw this, he lost his job over uh, over gambling. And I only bring up the subject because I'm surprised, um, Carlos, that to this point, Miami has somehow survived getting in trouble with gambling all these years. It's kind of been very fortunate. 
Uh, the, well, the- listen, uh, as you know, <laughs> down here, if people are intending to do things that are, let's say, extra legal or maybe not down the straight and narrow, the people that they are doing those things with or, you know, in this case, a bookie, uh, in other cases, a dealer, those guys are pretty low key uh, mm-hmm. and aren't going to rat anybody out. So I don't know how this guy got caught. Uh, was he using Was he betting online? Was he betting with like in a I think public he had, forum? I think he had somebody go and bet in person. On, on his behalf while they were in uh, in, in Ohio. Uh, I, it was Alabama versus LSU. That's what it was regarding that series. And and for whatever reason, somehow, some way. And he bet on his own team? I, I don't know if he bet on his own team. I don't know the specifics. But look, it's uh, it's an incident that involving a coach for the first time. It's it's usually been the players, right? Point shaving, right? You think of the Arizona basketball uh, scandal, Arizona State. Well, listen, I, I did hear there was a big-time pig race in Alabama that weekend. So maybe he was trying to get his money on <laughs> And put his money on one of those pigs, one of them there hogs, uh, to win him some money, which I totally understand if right. he had a good inside tip. But like I was saying, down here in Miami, nobody's going to rat you off. Bro. Like everybody's doing, 90% of the population is doing shit they shouldn't be doing down here. So nobody's going to rat anybody out because they, they could just turn around and just rat the other person out again. No. Right. Well, so far, they've been uh, they've been very lucky. Nothing like that is, uh, has, has serviced in Coral Gables. I'm keeping my fingers crossed long term here. Um, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about that. Uh, mailbag questions. And then the theme really for this show, I wanted it to be, um, you know, what's the next step for Miami in season two under Mario Cristobal? Uh, we're going to go and look at some other season twos, not only in Miami history, but some of these other programs that have had some success and won national titles. What's the jump from year one to year two? Uh, and what path do we think Mario and this program is on? We'll get into that. But first, the big recruiting weekend, Carlos, because uh, look, they, they signed or, or they got a commitment from Jaden Davis, who was a starter at Oklahoma. So they, got, they brought another cornerback in as a kid, South Florida kid, St. Thomas Aquinas, 22 game starter, not a superstar. Um, I think that's sort of the theme for the transfer portal this year from Miami. Yeah, I think I think they, their best players were on the offensive line. I think the Matt Lees and Javian Cohen's of the world. Those guys that they picked up uh, before spring football were big. I think this group of guys, the guys that are visiting this weekend, the ones that they're sort of after, I don't think it's going to – you're not going to have a De'Eric King, Jalen Phillips type of uh, impact with any of these guys that you get, but they will help your depth, and I think that's probably just as important as getting the frontline guys as, as Mario's pursuit of that is. So um, before uh, – I get your opinion on this. I'm just going to go through a list of names of guys who are here this weekend because I want to make sure I include it. Um, some of this is reported by others. Some of this is on my part. I was able to independently confirm the two Juco kids that are here. Uh, the Coffeeville uh, College, uh, Omari Wiggins. He's an offensive lineman, 6'3", about 300 pounds. Went to the same high school, uh, Pensacola Pine Forest. His last week is number five overall pick. Uh, Seahawks cornerback, Devon Witherspoon. Witherspoon was an unranked recruit coming out of uh, high school and ends up signing with Illinois, becomes a star there. Uh, This kid comes from the same high school. Um, Miami was his first power five offer, Maryland, Memphis, Temple, Toledo. Um, You know, there's some other schools involved. Oregon and South Carolina are are also talking to him. I think he's sort of the center of the future if Miami's able to get him. I think the Hurricanes have a good shot with him. Um, Another kid who's here, uh, Juco kid, Shamar Kirk, wide receiver, He's uh, out from Reedley College. He's 22 years old, Carlos. Um, told me this morning uh, it's an unofficial visit for him. He's taken all of his official visits already. I think Texas A&M might be the leader for this kid. He's originally from 20, uh, from t- uh, Tennessee. Like I said, 22 years old. He took two years off from uh, after high school 
uh, before he got into community college uh, out there in, in California, started playing there. A lot of production, close to 1,500 yards receiving. We'll see if Miami can impress him this weekend. And then you have some kids that have been playing um, both Power 5 and Division One football. Uh, Nebraska's A.J. Allen is a running back, second-year player, as a true freshman, played some at Nebraska before he broke his collarbone. You have North Texas graduate uh, student uh, linebacker Larry Nixon, the third, uh, 6'2", 236, so another big linebacker, offers from Cincinnati and Auburn as well as Miami. And then you got two defensive tackles, which is really the most important position. Kievi yep. Rose uh, from Louisiana Tech, 6'3", 303 pounds, out of Henderson, Texas. He was All-Conference USA last year. Again, not Daryl Jackson, big, but a big dude. And then Ole Miss defensive tackle, Tywon Malone. He played baseball, um, 6'4", 300 pounds, four-star recruit, top 100 recruit in 2021. Only played 97 snaps last year, but potential is obviously there. So those are six names to know. I know there's other kids that they're also having conversations with. In fact, um, I spoke with uh, another sort of um, true freshman who transferred out, a kid out of Vanderbilt, Jadeus Richard, 6'2", 197 pounds. He told me he was here at Miami this weekend, even though it really hasn't been reported. Uh, 2022, three-star prospect, played in 11 games as a true freshman, started against Tennessee, six tackles a sack and two, bra- two pass breakups, 203 snaps. Again, I-, I-, I just wanted to go over the list of guys. What is your take on all of that, on, on, on who they've got here this weekend? And-, and should Miami fans be worried that there's no receiver additions yet? <laughs> Um, yeah, I think they should be. Um, I think them reaching for a guy that's a project from a JUCO school that took two years off after high school is, you know, a bit concerning if that's the best prospect they can land in terms of an outside receiver, which means, you know, maybe the guy develops, maybe he becomes, he becomes something special. But what you really wanted was a proven guy, a guy that you could plug into the lineup right now, uh, like a Keon Coleman, get him out there on the outside, pair him with the other guys, and then create a little bit more depth and create, create a little bit more size on the outside to be able to have a little bit bre- a bit more breathing room for for TVD when he throws the ball down the field uh, and to have a guy that can make 50-50 catches to go up and make catches in traffic. But at the end of the day, it is what it is at this point. I mean, it's 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 become kind of a trend that the staff is, is having issues recruiting high-end receivers. Um, I mean, they did it with the high school guys this past cycle. Right now, it's not trending that direction in, in high school just yet. We'll see if that turns around. But in the portal, they just haven't been able to put their finger on the right guy, uh, aside from Colby Young, who was a, rev- a revelation last year. But he alone can't do it on the outside. So th- uh, something has to give. Either they're thinking this kid could develop into something special, or they feel comfortable that they don't need a superstar right now because they feel that the receiver room is coming along, which, I mean, based on what we've read and seen in the spring, I, I don't know if that's the case. Um, some guys like Ray Ray Joseph, I think, uh, are, are looking really good, can be a real impact early on. But the rest of the guys remain to be seen. You got your Restrepo back. But I think the issue is still on the outside. To me, I'm happy about the two defensive tackle recruits. Um, they need that. If they could land both those guys, that'd be a huge help because they need size inside. They need a nose tackle, one technique type guy or a couple guys to help rotate in there. Because essentially, you know, Leonard Taylor and, and Jared Harrison Hunter are the same player in terms of size, skill set, what they do. Uh, they're really three techniques, pass rushing three techniques. They're not run stuffing guys. They can on occasion stuff the run, but they're at their best when they're coming upfield and attacking the quarterback. And that's what they do, disrupting the line of scrimmage. Um, you need guys that could take on double teams, take on blocks, take on trap blocks, and fight that and allow linebackers to flow to the football. I, of course, I think they still need cornerback help. 
uh, if they can land one more, I, I know Jaden Davis uh, is a help. He's not a superstar by any means. He was okay at Oklahoma. He adds depth. He's better than what they had, I think, last season. So there's going to be a bunch of average guys out there at corner. Hopefully, because the safety play is really is really good or should be really good coming into the season with both Cam and James Williams, if they could elevate their game even more, that will cover up a lot of what's going on on the outside. Um, you'll have better linebackers in there. They'll probably be better in coverage aside from being better and making plays uh, in the run game. And if you could pressure the quarterback, that obviously always helps. And I think they've got a bunch of good edge, edge rushers that'll help that situation. So to me, if they come away with those two defensive tackles and nothing else, I'm happy. Uh, but I think they still need a running back. Um, I think they still need a corner. And I mean, you could always add another uh, offensive lineman. My concern, I said it on my pod last week, was I don't know that Jalen Rivers is a left tackle. I don't know that he has the feet to be a left tackle. There were times where I was watching the spring game and it looked like his feet weren't good enough to be a left tackle. He was being beaten around the edge. There was a bunch of sacks that weren't called uh, during that game that they let go that to me looked a little bit you know, unimpressive on the offensive line. So either Zion comes back healthy and you plug him in and move Jalen Rivers back inside or land another left tackle or Manuel Goa has to go outside the left tackle and then you figure something else out. But I think they could use one more offensive lineman in there, maybe to plug in inside or outside. Yeah, I mean, I think this kid uh, from Coffeeville that I told you about, I think he's sort of that option on the inside. Um, you know, Javian Cohen um, is a guy who I think could play outside if you had to have him play outside, kind of the way DJ Scaife did at times last year um, and in the past. Uh, so, look, none of these guys are special, okay? None of the guys are going to come in here and all of a sudden be the number one or number two uh, player on your team, but they're quality guys uh, rotational type pieces. Let me interrupt you for 30 seconds. I'm going to yeah. go get the door. Publix has arrived. You keep on your, uh, your analysis. Okay. All right. I will keep going with my analysis while you, while you go get Publix. Um, one thing I was going to say, and, and I'll, and I, I guess I'll say this to Carlos once he gets back is, you know, th this Miami roster, uh, through the spring anyway, I thought the receiver position, some of the feedback we got was, you know, some of these guys have taken strides forward. Brashard Smith, uh, we heard a lot of positive things about Jacoby George. We heard a lot of positive things about Jacoby ended up catching two touchdown passes uh, in the spring game. Uh, you know, obviously, uh, you, you would like that burner on the outside. You would like to get uh, the kind of guy who can stretch the field and really respect you. But if this offensive line improves, and, and it will be better when Javian Cohen and Ness Cooper are in there in the starting lineup, um, then I think, you know, they can they can have the kind of balance that they probably want, you know, long term. They, they can have the kind of, um, you know, one two punch where where you can run some play action, uh, run the ball on first down and pick up positive yardage. I mean, those guys are going to move the line of scrimmage forward. That could make passing a whole lot easier for for this uh, for this program going forward. So um, to me, I'm not as worried anymore after what I saw in the spring about the receiver position. I'd like a guy who could stretch the field, but I don't necessarily think it's like make or break. You don't have this guy, and and all of a sudden your your offense is extremely limited. Um, you know we're gonna see what happens when Elijah Arroyo gets back at the tight end position. Um, you know you could make a Jaleel Skinner just a complimentary guy. You make a Cam McCormick your your blocking tight end. So from an offensive perspective, I think we're fine. The, to me, the bigger issue for Miami is the defensive side, and I think like like Carlos mentioned. Replacing Daryl Jackson is going to be really, really tough. Um, and it, it, you need those big bodies. You need those run stuffers. I thought Ahmad Moten looked pretty good in the spring game. He's he's just a second-year player. You know, it's hard to count on those guys to come in here and play major snaps. If you can limit Ahmad Moten to 15, 20 snaps a game and he's your, your fourth or fifth defensive tackle and he's there to sort of 
relieve uh, guys off the bench, then I, then I think you're in a better situation. If he's got to be your number two or your number three guy because of injuries, Leonard Taylor gets banged up or Jared Harrison Hunt gets banged up and they can't play in, early in the season, you got to play Ahmad Moten. That's troublesome. It's not because Ahmad Moten isn't out. It's because you're asking him to play 45, 50 snaps instead of 15. And, and I think, you know, that's that's the issue Mario Cristobal is trying to figure out right now. It's how can I get enough depth at some of these positions so I'm not overstressing certain players that aren't capable of, of playing 40, 50, 60 snaps a game and being dominant at their position. That's why you have to have depth. That's where the the Georgias and the Alabamas and, and the best teams in the country every single year beat you because they can they can bring a five star off the bench and only play him 10 to 15 snaps really young and and let him thrive in, in that sort of role. So I think it'll be really interesting uh, to see, you know, who Miami ultimately gets here. Uh, I know the scholarship numbers is, is sort of a topic as well. Um, you know, Miami only had two guys leave uh, at the end of the transfer portal here. And and so I, by my math, I, they're about 81 or 82 scholarships right now. So, you know, the one thing I will say ultimately is um, some of these dudes who may not have, have been playing in spring football or did play in spring football could just turn into students. And those scholarships are sort of taken. So if Miami wants to create space, they can still do that. If these, even if these guys don't enter the transfer portal, they can just turn them into students and, and that'll open up the kind of space to take as many of these dudes as they want. Um, so I was just, you know, I, I know you stepped away for a minute, Carlos, but basically I went over my analysis of offense. I think the bigger need is on defense. I think D tackle was a bigger need than, than receiver. I thought, you know, we saw some things this spring that were a little encouraging. Obviously Elijah Royal has to come back at tight end. We'll see how he is. Um, I think the bigger need, I would love for them to go out and get a Charleston Rambo who could stretch the field, but I don't think it's yeah. make or break for this offense by any stretch. I, I would even venture to say, I think getting a, a healthy running back, like an A.J. Allen, uh, this kid out of Nebraska who was pretty good, who earned the nickname Quick Six in high school, ran for 2,200 yards a senior. Getting that guy's extra insurance in case something that ha happens to a Don Chaney Jr., um, you know, or some of the other guys that you have on this team and not having to count on a true freshman to, to have to deliver big. I think that's sort of a bigger need even maybe right now than wide receiver um, because there are guys that can play. Right. I mean, I, I don't know if it's a bigger need per se, but I mean, if I had to go without a re receiver, as long as we landed an additional running back to me, that's, that's fine. I'll take that. Because like you said, I think counting on Don Chaney coming off two knee injuries, counting on Henry Parrish again, uh, being a smallish guy that also had was nicked up last year. You can't count on those two guys to be your your featured back. I don't think. Um, I don't think you count on Mark Fletcher to be a significant uh, car carry significant load as a running back his freshman year, especially from a pass protection standpoint. Now he he may pick it up. He may be by the end of the year. I think he, he's going to be in the rotation. But I think you need that insurance, like you said, from a veteran guy who could pick up pass protection quickly, uh, who understands how to play the game who's effective as a running back and can spell the other two guys. So if you've got three veteran guys you can rely on, if one goes down, then you can move up one of the freshmen or at least Mark Fletcher to step in there and make plays. I mean, you saw what happened last year with Lucius Stanley. We had to pick him up off basically the, the public's checkout line and throw him into the field yeah, uh, to try and provide some, some sort of insurance there for the running back room. So I think it's important to get an additional running back just because of the injury history of Cheney, Trevante Citizen obviously is not going to be counted on this year. At least it doesn't seem like it too much, uh, or at least till the end of the year. So it, it's important to get another one. Now, would I love to have both a running back and a receiver? If you get that, you're golden, I think. Um, would I prefer a, a Charleston Rambo type? Yes. But if you can get somebody that you feel with size and speed that you feel can add something to the room at receiver, then, then I'll be happy. But I think overall, to me, the biggest concern 
on both sides of the ball is defensive tackle, and then second would be corner. Right. And and Branson Dean and, and the other kid that they picked up um, via the transfer portal. I mean, those guys, again, depth pieces. You you, you forget. I'm, in fact, I'm going to look at the list now of how many defensive tackles ultimately ended up leaving the team here between this year and last year. And look at my, my uh, departure list. Um, this is just transferred out. Daryl Jackson, Jordan Miller, Alan Hay, um, Elijah Roberts, Jabari Ishmael, Thomas Davis. Those are your, your 70. Three of those guys were defensive tackles. And then, I'm not mistaken, there was other guys that ran out of eligibility, right, and graduated. Let me look yep. at the list here. Um, Antonio Moultrie and then Mitchell Agude was another rotational guy up front. Um, so, I mean, uh, yeah. Lichtenstein think, also was out. Is, is no, going right now. No, Lichtenstein is back. He's okay. back. He, he got like his 18th season of eligibility. Oh, awesome. Yeah. So, um, but again, it just from a body perspective, you just look at the roster right now at D tackles. Uh, you got Lichtenstein, who's a graduate, 6'6, 270. Leonard Taylor, 6'3, 305, third year guy. Harrison Hunt, 6'4, 295. Moten, 6'3, 300. And then Branson Dean, 6'2, 280. And Thomas Gore, 6'2, 270. And then you got the two true freshmen, Collins, Anchampong, and Joshua Horton. Anchampong is uh, 6'7, 254. And Horton is 6'4", 285. Again, not the gigantic monster that Daryl Jackson. Yeah, you want to you want to do that six five three ten to three twenty in there, right? You you want uh, somebody who can take that pounding at least 30, 40 snaps a game. Yep, and help you out. Um, all right, uh, let's let's get into the NFL draft because that happened as well. And and I know there are a lot of Miami fans who are sort of upset, like, hey, this isn't great, Padre. Great, uh, great produ uh, production, but if you if you divide 259 picks, which is what it was, right, um, seven rounds, and you and you divide it um, by 69 Power Five teams, the average per team should be about three and a half to four draft picks. Yes, Miami fell short, but how far away are they really from where they should be? I would say four to five draft picks per year. I'd be pretty happy if you're Miami. Correct or incorrect? Yeah, I would be happy, but again, this is disappointing. I mean, the highest traffic you had was a second-round guy that was actually a transfer from Georgia, so it wasn't a Miami recruit. The two guys drafted by Miami were in the fifth and seventh rounds. What you want right. to see is first through third, right? You want to see more of those guys. And it also counts where they're drafted, not just how many are drafted. So you right. can have four guys drafted in the seventh round. It doesn't mean shit because that means your talent wasn't good enough. If you're having four guys drafted in rounds one through three, then you're making an impact. And those guys are legitimate players are, are going to make an NFL roster. And in many cases, maybe start and make an impact. So to me, it's not just the number. It's the quality of the number that needs to improve as well. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. 
Victorinox, the makers of the original Swiss Army Knife, have been a reliable companion for life's everyday challenges, mastering functionality, innovation, iconic design, and uncompromising quality with its products. The Victorinox Swiss Army Knife provides you with all the things you don't think about until you need it. Tweezers, a screwdriver, and even a corkscrew. With the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife, you can be prepared to master everyday life. You can find Victorinox Swiss Army Knives at Dick's Sporting Goods. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, I mean, those are fair points. And, and I know some people have come out with draft projections already for next year. And somebody wrote an article saying there'll be four, there could be as many as four hurricanes in the first round. Well, I remember uh, somebody predicted a couple of years ago there was going to be 15 hurricanes drafted. Yeah, that, yeah, we know who said that. Okay, Kelvin Harris. And, and about 13 of them were going to be in the first round. Right. And, and they only ended up with one draft a year ago with John Ford. Um, so, yes, uh, I think sometimes as a fan base, you can get a little ahead of yourself. But I think right now, if we were to look at this roster and we were honest with ourselves, right? And we're not putting on the green and orange uh, glasses that, we, that that some people like to put on. Who, in your mind, in all honesty, is a first-round pick on this roster right now? Uh, potentially, TVD. If he's a TVD of two years ago and he expands upon that, he could be a first-round pick, depending on how he plays this year. Right. Um, is he going to be? I, I don't know. I mean, that's up in the air. But he will be drafted. I can say that pretty confidently. Um I think maybe Javian Cohen is not a first round pick, but I think maybe he could be a second or third rounder if he has a really good season. Um, you know, down the road, some of the freshmen could be first round picks, but uh, I really don't know. I don't know off the top of my head. There's 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 a lot of unknowns with the younger guys because we haven't seen them play yet, or a lot of them haven't developed yet to that point. Uh, could Cam Kitchens be a first round pick? I don't know. He's a bit of a smallish safety. He's a great. He's he's a ball hawk. He's he's produced a lot. But then you're looking at a guy kind of like Jacon Johnson, who was a great producer, but not the biggest guy in the world. So that makes him slip down, down the draft board. You know, the NFL loves those measurables and those quantifiables, which to me, a lot of that is bullshit, um, which that's what, how you end up with DJ Ivy getting drafted when his production was throughout his entire career, just because he's got size and speed. So I don't know, man, I don't know what to tell you, but I think at, 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 to me, the top candidate at this point would be TVD followed by like a cam kitchens, you know, if they overlook the size. Yeah, I, I think if Zion Nelson comes back and has a monster year and, and is and is really uh, phenomenal, where he's one of the best left tackles in yeah. college football, I think he has the feet to do it. Yeah, absolutely. I don't know. my concern is, is his injury. I, I, he's been out too long. I don't know if he's ever going to come back to sin. Right. Uh, and then I would say the other guy is probably Leonard Taylor. And, and I yeah. think that's just because he's, he's a disruptive, pass-rushing, creative defensive tackle which with the five-star pedigree i think once you're a five-star whether you like it or not that if you can be productive and you're a five-star for whatever reason it doesn't matter if you're not the best at your position the nfl looks at you and 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 gives you some serious uh consideration and and i think you know i think those guys i think you know the the boat is probably passed on james william i don't think he's capable of of sort of recapturing the magic just because he's been so inconsistent with tackling. I think some people yeah. probably look at him as he's playing out of position. He needs to play linebacker at the next level, that type of thing. Um, but in terms of guys that are returning, I would say those guys have the best shot. But my prediction would be that right now they're day three picks. Um, you yeah. know, if, if they, if they play the way that they have here, 
the last couple of years. I mean, yeah, and if we're honest with Leonard Taylor, Leonard Taylor's got a lot of upside and he's had flashes, but he hasn't been dominant. Mm-hmm. He's been really good in, at times, but there's been other times where he's disappeared and he's gotten mauled. So some people will argue it's because of the, the lack of snaps that he hasn't gotten enough opportunities. Okay, well, this is a year he's got to prove it. It's a put up or shut up year. This is the year Leonard Taylor has to prove why he was uh, a five star recruit and one of the top defensive tackles, if not the top defensive tackle recruit in the country when he came out. But he has to prove that he's got that motor and the ability to dominate games when it counts uh, at, at all times and especially in crunch time. So we'll see what happens this season. Um, all right. I, I mentioned the gambling at the top of the show. Um, part of the reason I brought it up uh, was because I saw some odds for a few Miami Hurricanes games this fall. It's still very early. I've yet to see real win totals put out by Vegas. Although I think Miami, you know, tentatively is probably seven win mark is sort of there is going to be their line. But I, I found some of these numbers interesting. Number one, um, Miami is a 10 point underdog at home versus Clemson, sort of the opening line and a 16 and a half point underdog at Florida State. I know you and I exchanged text messages earlier this week when that line came out. I didn't talk to you about it. What's what's your <laughs> what's your initial reaction to I mean, 16 and a half on the road in Tallahassee? Vegas apparently thinks that Chief Osceola is going to take that flaming spear and shove it right up our tush. Um, <laughs> wow. I did not expect it to be a I did not expect the Florida State line to be bigger than the Clemson line, to be quite honest with you. Um, I thought it'd be about even. Uh, if it was 10 also for Florida State, I'd be okay. That's fine. But 16 and a half, shit. I mean, but that shows you how bad the Hurricanes were last year. And Vegas has no confidence in them this year. I mean, yeah, let's say they do make a three-touchdown improvement compared to last year's game. They're still getting beat by two touchdowns, right? Three, two, three touchdowns. Touch, three touchdowns. Three, three touchdowns, yeah. So, I mean, it, it, it. I understand it. I understand why it's 16 and a half. So it's up to them to prove it that they're wrong, to prove Vegas wrong. But who knows? Uh, maybe that's why Alabama's coach got busted. When he saw that line, he was like, 16 and a half? Shit. I'm putting my money down right now before that line changes. Um. I went back and I looked up these numbers. It's kind of interesting. Um, how do you think Miami did against the spread last year? What do you think their record was? Ooh. Three and nine. One and 11. Can you name the win? The one win. Um, hmm. <laughs> Definitely not Middle Tennessee. Um, Texas A&M. Georgia Tech. Wow. Yes. Uh, the line against Southern Miss was 26 and a half. They won by 23. The line against Texas A&M was six and a half. They lost by eight. Um, Middle Tennessee, they were favored by 25 and a half. We know what happened there. They were favored to beat North Carolina by four. They lost by three. Favored to beat Virginia Tech by nine. Only won by six. Um Let's see here. Duke favored to win by 10 and only won by t- um, actually one. lost by 20. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry about that. Uh, UVA favored to win by three, only won by two. <laughs> Florida State underdog by six and a half, lost by 42. Georgia Tech um, underdog by two and a half, won by 21. And then Clemson underdog by 19, lost by 30. Pittsburgh Underdog by four and a half, lost by twenty six. Yeah, not a good year to gamble on the Kings. Yeah, I don't. You know what? That's why I stay away from home teams. Like I've, I'm not a gambler anyway. But like the stuff that I've gambled on in the past, I learned early on 
whenever I put any money on anything, I don't, I don't bet on the home team. I don't bet on my favorite teams because I let my, uh, my emotions cloud me. Mm-hmm. Unless it's something I'm, I see it's pretty obvious that I feel it's, it's you know, it has to, okay, I've got to lay the money down. I, I really don't uh, worry about what, what the lines are for my team because it usually bites me in the ass. Um, all right. Our theme for the show today is uh, what season two should we expect from Miami? And I kind of wanted to do a little bit of a mixed bag research because I think we have to sort of characterize, first of all, what this is. Uh, considering the fact that it's been 22 years since Miami won its last national championship, we can't go back and look at Jimmy Johnson's second year and say that he's in the same position as Mario Cristobal was. We can't right. even we can't even go back and look at any Den- Dennis Erickson years because he won the championship his first year. You you know, Butch Davis. Yeah, I, I went back and I looked. Um, Randy Shannon. Yes. Al Golden. Yes. Mark Rick. Yes. Manny Diaz. Yes. Um, but first, Carlos, let's start. We'll start there because I, I did also look up Nick Saban, Dabo Sweeney, Urban Meyer and Jim Harbaugh. And that would be Urban Meyer at uh, Ohio State. But let's let's look up uh, Miami first. Now, let me let me throw this in there. When we yeah. make our predictions for what we think year two is going to be like, mm-hmm. we need to reference two TV shows. Go so ahead. is it so we got to do a really good one that one that had a great season two mm-hmm. and then one that had a really terrible season. two. OK, go so for we gotta it. Figure, we got to figure those. Well, when we make our predictions, so we got to figure those out at the end. So we got to say, you know, what was what would you think was a great season two for one of the shows that you uh, Ted Lasso? Ted, Ted Lasso, Lasso had a great season two. I'll agree with that. Ted Lasso. Yep. And who had a terrible season two? Mm. Uh, some people might say Game of Thrones, right? It kind of took a step back for, for the Game of Thrones people. I don't know. I was, I was thinking maybe Game of Thrones. I didn't, I, I'll, I'll let it slide because it really got good starting season three and then up until season six where it dove off a cliff. But yeah, well, let's let's go with that. Let's go with Game of Thrones or Ted Lasso. All right. Um, first of all, what do you? Th- I'm going to throw the names out at you again. Howard Schnellenberger, Butch Davis, Randy Shannon, Al Golden, and Mark Mark Richt and Manny Diaz. Okay, what they did in year two. Mm-hmm. Did any of them have a losing record in year two? Did any of them have a losing record in season two? Um, I know Howard did not. I know Manny, Randy, Mark Richt uh, did not. Al Golden did not. Maybe Butch. No, nope. he had none of them, right? Yeah. One, two, three, four, four out of the out of the six actually finished in the AP top 25. Look at that. Kind of interesting, right? When you think about it, um, Butch Davis went nine and three in his second season. Miami finished 14th in the AP poll. Um, Randy Shannon went seven and six in 2008. He, like, like, uh, I mean, what did they do? I think they went five. They have a five-win season in Randy's first year. Let me go back and look at 2000. Yeah, they were five and seven. And uh, they were five and seven. Very similar to our our, our boy Mario here. Um, and then he went seven and six. Uh, Al Golden went seven and five in 2012, and his first year they were six, six and six. Right. Um, of course, he also had the scandal to deal with. The Nevin Shapiro scandal. Mark Richt went ten and three in in 2017. Remember that was coming off a nine and four debut, and then Manny Diaz eight and three in 2020, coming off of that uh, ridiculously terrible performance against Louisiana Tech in a six and seven season the year before. So, based on that information, just from a Miami experience, what do you think is a is a fair expectation? That's not asking too much of Mario. Most of those guys averaged one to two win improvements, right? 
Mm-hmm. I think the only one that made a like a four game jump might have been like uh, Howard Schnellenberger. I think he made like a big jump. Right. Yeah. Uh, Howard went five and six to nine and three. Right. So he's the only one that made like a four game jump. Yeah. So I Mar- would say Mario Mario's making eighty million dollars by the way. Yes. And he has really good nil resources and a he transfer does. portal. Yes. But uh, Luke was around back in the day also. <laughs> so. <laughs> All right. Kind of bounce. He might not have had as much money as John Ruiz, but he had the the, the Luke dancers. Yeah. That accounts that, for a lot, that, my friend. That helped out. Okay. It Fair also enough. helps out when you can take a recruit to the Rolex, make his jaw drop, and drool. That makes a huge difference when you're recruiting as well back in the day. So let's not uh let's let's not let's not skirt on, on Luke there. He he did his job. So anyway, I would say I think a two game improvement is is reasonable. I think that, you seven go- wins. You can go to seven wins if they really take a leap, if, if they really hit a couple guys in the portal. I think if they get those two defensive tackles and they get another corner and maybe a receiver or a running back or both, then you're looking at eight wins. I think you could realistically get to eight wins. Um, getting to nine might be tough. I don't know if they can beat Florida State this year. I don't know if they could beat Clemson. A&M, again, that's going to be a toss-up. I, I, they probably have more talent than we do. They do. Um but can they use it against us this year with a revamped offense and a new quarterback? I don't know. So you're looking right there at AM, Clemson, and Florida State, which if you look at our, our season last season, what's coming into this season, more than likely they're going to be underdogs in all three of those games. So right there, if they lose all three of those games, now you've got one more game against ACC competition that you could probably you, – that you're going to slip up and get to eight wins. So Carolina's still going to be tough. Uh you know, I don't know who else is going to be at the top of the, the 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 ACC pit. Will be tough, but not as good as they've been in the past. So who knows? I, I think reasonably seven to eight wins should be the expectation coming into this season. Does it change at all though when you hear what Howard did in year two, what uh, you know Manny even did in year two? The, the fact that he was able to sort of take that that big of a leap up. Well, I think the difference between what what Howard did and what Manny did is and what we're going into here is a little bit different. So Howard took the resources, the freshmen that he gathered from around the inner city in Miami and made that sort of the, the, the backbone of the team to help boost them up to more success. And the reason that happened was because those kids were normally going out of state, going to different colleges, going to different places. He kept them home for the first time and they made a huge impact on the program uh, just from that talent level. And also they weren't dealing with the same sort of competition in terms of recruitment that everybody's dealing with nowadays. Manny had the the COVID advantage. So because he had that COVID advantage, a lot of teams were depleted when they played. You remember Virginia Tech when they played them, they, they, they were down like 30 guys. Right. Um, so it, it wasn't necessarily that they were that good. They were just more healthy than a lot of the teams during that season uh, and got lucky. They got some lucky bounces too. It wasn't just you know them blowing people out. Um, and as you saw towards the end of the year, when North Carolina ran for 6,555 yards in one game, that uh, started to catch up to him at the end of the season. So to me, all things considered, realistically, reasonably, a two to three game jump. So seven to eight wins to me would be reasonable. Fair enough. I, I don't necessarily disagree with you. I, I just think in the end, we love to do this as a society, right, is is go back at the end of the year and say, well, what did what did Butch do in year two or what did Howard do in year two? It's kind of good to look at it on the front end before we even get to that discussion. Um, and if you look at those guys, it's one to two games is the, the reasonable jump. It's normal, right. right? Well, yeah, I mean, Howard went from from five to nine. Um, but again, it's I think the other the other side of the two is 
we're expecting Mario to do much better, right? Because of the amount of money that he's making, because of the fact that he's been a head coach at Oregon and, and had some success there, that he had some success at FIU. Um, here's here's the bigger comparison, which is where Miami's administration, I think, wants to compare him. Um, the Nick Sabans, the Dabo Sweeney's, the Urban Myers, even the Jim Harbaugh's, who I know you 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 like to look at Michigan, right, as a, as a fairer comparison for Miami, yeah. especially in, in light of the fact that they've made two playoff appearances in a row here. Um, let's take, let's start with Nick Saban. When he took over the program at Alabama, uh, in 2007, they were coming off a pretty terrible year, but they had some talent on the roster. Uh, Saban in his debut year, um, I'm looking at this here, five wins vacated. He was really seven and, and five, I guess his first year, um, on the job. Um, 2008, his second year, they finished 12 and two. <laughs> number six in the country. Kirby Smart was his defensive coordinator, him and Kevin Steele. Um, Jim McElwain was his offensive coordinator. Uh, pretty drastic jump for for Nick Saban, but that's why he's the best in the business. Dabo, when he took over Clemson, which I think is a little bit more comparable to Miami because they were kind of in the hole in the ACC. Florida State was the best team. Um, Dabo Sweeney took over, remember, um, in the middle of the year uh, in 2006. His first full season, he went seven and six, and then his second full season, he went nine and five, and played lost to Georgia Tech in the ACC championship game. Went to the Music City Bowl, got to nine wins. Dabo Sweeney did. Um, Urban Meyer, twelve and zero when he took over at Ohio State in year one. Twelve and two the next season. Made oh, he play- slipped. He slipped. Yeah, he slipped. Uh, and then the following year after uh, that, I mean, they were they were playing for championships, winning championships. Um, Jim Harbaugh, first uh, season in 2015 at Michigan, he took over the program. Let me look at what the record was in 2014. I'm scrolling backwards here. His first year, he went 10 and three. He took over a five and seven program, uh, went 10 and three year one. And then in year two, uh, 10 and three, finished 10th in the top 25 poll. Um, Jabril Preppers uh, was the leader of that team. So, I guess I guess the whole point of bringing all of this up, Carlos, is we're ultimately going to compare Mario, and and we should, right? This is what Miami expects him to have that kind of an impact, where he goes on a championship level path or a playoff path. Um, if he doesn't get to eight or nine wins, is he underwhelming? Is he not doing his job? Um, if he doesn't get to eight wins, I could see why people would say he's underwhelming. But if you keep it in perspective, remembering what kind of a disaster last year was. If they get to seven wins and it's seven wins where they lose games where they're highly competitive against conference opponents and not losing to non-conference group of five low tier schools, I think that makes a difference. And I think if you get some sort of uh, revenge against a team like Duke and and win games that, that maybe you weren't expected to win, that seven and five looks a little bit different. So long as you see progress, I think that's the key. I think you need to see progress on the field. Ideally, I'd like to see them get to eight wins. I think if they get to eight wins, people will feel comfortable, or at least I'll feel comfortable with the direction of the program where it's heading coming off of last season. Will people be happy? No, because what, what does everybody expect for next season? Everybody wants a championship. Everybody's like, oh, they got to compete for the ACC title. They got to be in the ACC title game next year. They got to be a playoff team. Dude, it's not that easy. I mean, it, you people forget very quickly. They have very short memories as to how terrible this team was last year and the reasons why it was terrible. It needed to be ripped from the foundations and, and sort of, rebuilt from the ground up which why i think 
I, which, which is why I think Howard is probably the best comparison because Howard had to do that um, just in a less competitive recruiting environment, I would think. And that's why Howard had that big, that big jump. But he's also a great coach, which is another reason why they had a big jump. That helps. So does Mario earn his 80 million is basically what you're asking this season? If he gets to eight to nine wins, I would say he does. I think he does earn that 80 million or 8 million for that season if he gets to eight to nine wins. Does he do it if he gets to seven wins? Nah, maybe not, but it's it's understandable. If he has a six-win season, then we're talking about, listen, dude, uh, how about we restructure that contract? Um, can I get a little can I get a little bit of that money back? Because I think we're we're overpaying you a little bit. Yeah. I, I think it's look, it's, it's an interesting conversation because I think unintentionally we sort of stumbled into what is a fair comparison, right? Like what, what should we honest, how should, who should we compare him to? Right. And, and maybe Howard is the perfect example because it's been so long since this program has been relevant that it, it's almost the same gap, right? Compared you, to Howard. We want him to be at the Howard level, right? From a coaching perspective and a recruiting perspective and success. But I think this is might sound controversial. Um, the better comparison is probably Randy Shannon right now. Because Randy stepped into a situation where the program was in shambles. He had to rebuild it from the ground up. He relied heavily on freshmen on a big recruiting class, um, the number one recruiting class in the country, to help rebuild the program and take it from there. And I think that is probably a more fair comparison to what the situation that, Mar- that Mario's running through. I know. Here's, here's why I would uh, disagree with you and, and, and strike back. Mar- uh, Randy was on the national championship team that had only won a championship five years prior to that. And there still was residue. There were still kids who had seen Miami win a championship. And it was a little easier to recruit to Miami then than it was now. And he and, and the proof was in the pudding. He signed the number one recruiting class in the country in 2007. Why? Because he was going to take over and things were going to change and blah, blah, blah. I, I think Mario almost steps into a bigger hole from a how far you removed from a championship perspective. And I think that in a lot of ways, affects things. I think a lot of this last recruiting class was the result of NIL helping Miami uh, go out and and get a lot of the guys that they wanted. I don't know that that's going to win over anybody in year two. I think a lot of these kids are going to be looking to see what they do in year two with this new staff and if steps forward are honestly taken. And so I think it's it's much more like a Howard-type situation to me, because they're so far removed from a championship. None of the kids that he's recruiting remember Miami winning. They don't. Yeah. I mean, some of them don't even remember the 30 for 30s. That's how long the 30 for 30s have been out. So just, I just I, I think uh, <laughs> I think it's a little bit more of a stiffer challenge in that regard. But Howard was great at what he did. Like you said, he, he really, you know, went into South Florida and, and, and got some elite players. Mario, I think, is doing a, from a more national perspective. Um, but look, uh, the pressure's on, man. Like you're making that money. You got to deliver. I think at the end of the day, we've seen Mario be a great recruiter, but I think it's been mostly up front on the lines where he's done his best job. I think the test for Mario down the road, whether or not this program is successful or elite, elite is his ability or his staff's ability to recruit skill position players, especially on the offensive side of the football. We'll see how that goes. If he can flip that narrative that he is a ground and pound guy, that skill position players go there to die under his, in his program. If he could flip that narrative and get, get some guys that are explosive, big time, unquestioned five-star playmakers at the skill position at offense, that may determine whether or not this program gets back to being elite. Let's get to our mailbag. Um, this is from junior at Zoe. Oh, um, we're, we're jumping the gun now. Zoe Fashion, What's that? Your prediction. 
Is oh. it Game of Thrones season two or is it Ted Lasso season two this season? I, I, I'm leaning towards uh, I'm leaning towards Game of Thrones. OK, wow. All right. I'm, I'm, I feel like this is going to be a little underwhelming, but I could see it spinning around at the end. I, I could see as some of, uh, of these younger players get going that maybe it, at the end of season two. So maybe it's the momentum of the end of season two of Game of Thrones that starts leading into season three and the Red Wedding and all that stuff. Right. right. OK. OK. So not a disaster season two, but a eh, rough one, but trending upward. I, I think they could get to eight wins with a bowl victory. With a bowl victory. OK, so that's a very sneaky way of saying you think they're going to go seven to five. Kind of. You just you just tried to duck the fact that you said they were going to be seven five. I just I, I think I, I don't I don't have a lot of confidence right now that these true freshmen are going to come in and be dominant players. Yeah. It just doesn't happen. And I don't know that there's enough in the transfer portal, as you mentioned, defensive tackle, cornerback, even stretching the field receiver depth at running back. Those are all uh, concerns. Right. And you're going to have coin flip games. There, there are going to be a lot of close conference games and they could go either way. Play here, play there, an injury. A setback, those types of things happen. So you never know. I think seven and five, eight and four is, is reasonable. What did you, uh, what's your season then? Ted Lasso or? Uh... I don't know, man. Ted Lasso season two is really damn good. So I'm, I'm going to go Game of Thrones also. All right. So we settled on the same one. Yeah. Let's, let's get to the mailbag now. I want you to get back to uh, brewing your, your alcohol, uh, which I got to try at some point. Yeah, I'm uh, telling then... you. I'll let you know afterwards. All right. Let me know afterwards. This is from uh, Junior Zofessional on Twitter. Do you think Coach Dawson's offense will be successful enough to scheme up at least two wins that are unexpected? I haven't seen a UM offense attack a team's weakness for a win in years. Example, FSU's counter run, counter run us to death like UNC. Hopefully Gidry can fix that issue. Please, God, LOL. <laughs> well, I think you saw Red Lashley scheme some wins up for the Hurricanes. I right. think you saw him use that against Pitt. Louisville? Uh, Louisville, I think it was another great example. Um, you know, I think NC State, they also came out with a great game plan early in the game to get Tyler Van Dyke going, get him confidence to take a lead early in that game, a lead early in that game. Mm -hmm. So I, I think Rhett Lashley did a lot of that. Uh, I think we lost it last year. Hopefully Gidry brings it back. And I think that was that was one of my biggest complaints last year with Josh Gaddis was that there was no attacking the other team's weaknesses and scheming guys open or using uh, different schematic plays and, and motions and, and route schemes to free guys up for big plays. That was a big difference between him and, and Red Lashley. This is from Asher Wildman, 13. Uh, Asher frequently listens to us. Do you think Demarcus Van Dyke was a coaching roster squeeze? Listening to your tea leaves, it seemed like Joe Salavea was expected to go to the NFL, and it didn't happen. How valuable is the Samoan relationship he brings? Where does UM's cornerbacks rank in the ACC? There's so much turnover. Where does last year versus this year? All right. Threw a lot of questions there at us, Asher. Let's start with DVD. Um, do I think he was a, a, a coaching roster squeeze? Yeah, I think I think there probably was a scenario where Joe Salavea would have gone to the NFL. I know he's making a lot of money as an assistant coach. I think his Samoan relationships are very, very big. It certainly helped with the Maui Goas. Uh, I think it certainly helps with them going forward. Yep. Um, but I think the plan... For, for both Salavea and even Mario was for him to try to get an NFL job. Didn't happen. I know he interviewed for at least one. Uh, didn't get the job. Now he's back. I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing that he's back. Unfortunately, DVD wants to coach 
and and there's no spot for him at Miami. Remember, we did have discussions at a certain point that we thought my that the NCAA would expand the number of on-field coaches you could have, um, and, and ultimately they didn't do that. So uh, you only had the ten assistants. Demarcus Van Dyke ends up uh, going to FIU, where by the way he's not leaving town, so he could very much come back a year from now or two years from now and not have to move his family or do anything drastic. So. Being at FIU is sort of the perfect waiting area, I think, for him. Um, as far as where do UM's cornerbacks rank in the ACC, um, tough question to answer because I haven't really broken down the whole conference, especially now after the uh, transfer portal movement. I think Florida State is clearly number one. They got Fentress uh, from Virginia. They had some good players coming back at that position to begin with. Um, Clemson obviously continues to have talent at that position, recruit well. North Carolina lost. Their DBs coach, Dre Bly, some of those guys left Storm, Duck, uh, et cetera. Um, so I don't know. I, I I think Miami's cornerbacks right now, I would say, are middle of the conference. I wouldn't say they're the worst, but I also wouldn't say I have a lot of confidence in them either. Um, I think there's a lot of inexperience there. I think Devontae Brown looked average for the most part this spring, the transfer from UCF. Uh, I think uh, the kid they got out of Iowa wasn't necessarily that great. Didn't hear rave reviews about him. So uh, it's pushing the Takori couches of the world and some of the other younger guys that they have into positions where they have to be contributors. And, and I'm not so confident in that. What do you, what's your take on all that, Carlos? I think the better question is, are they going to be better than last year? How do they compare to last year's cornerback? And I think <clears throat> certainly Tyreek Stevenson was the best corner last year um, when he was healthy. I don't think they have anybody near that skill level at this point right now. But overall, as a group, can they be as good uh, or at least good enough, maybe. That remains to be seen. I, I don't think they have the talent there right now. I don't think those guys are – the younger guys are ready to step in and make the plays that they need them to make to be the kind of guys that need to be frontline guys. So it could be hit or miss. I think they're going to be average a corner, but can they be average and schematically sound? Right. Can they do that? Because you can have a hell of a lot of talent. You saw with DJ Ivy. He got drafted. Great measurables, but he was constantly lost in the scheme. He didn't understand what he was doing out there a lot of the time. So if you could be sound schematically and understand your responsibility, and if you just get beat because guys are better athletes than you, that shit's going to happen. But being sound in the scheme is going to help a lot. And then you've got those two guys in the back to try and erase the mistakes. So I would say the better question is, will they be better than last year? I think overall, as a group, I think they'll be slightly better. Well, they will if you're creating more pressure up front. And, exactly. And which, yeah. which, is, which is really what, what – uh, they brought Lance Gidry in four uh, to be more aggressive, to run that Manny Diaz type defense. Uh, Daryl Porter, I will say, he, he looked better to me in the spring game than I expected him to. He's the experienced guy. At least he's a 14-game starter. Uh, Takori Couch has played 1,700 snaps. Uh, this kid, Jaden Davis, has played 1,500 snaps. And Devontae Brown's played 1,900 snaps. So from an experience standpoint, there's guys that have at least played and made starts. The question is, quality are any of those guys a real number one and i really can't answer that question for you i don't i don't think that they are right now um all right let's move on to the final mailbag question uh carlos this is from coach travieso magic buck on twitter after such a disappointing 2022 football season i've been very concerned about raul from hialeah does anyone have an update on how he is doing Listen, last I heard, uh, he was drinking his way, his weight in Coquito mm -hmm. uh, throughout Hialeah during the holidays. He has disappeared ever since. Uh, as we get closer to the season, I'm sure he'll pop up, probably with 
three or four more phony offenses on his record. Probably a, a few more scratches on his face from uh, getting into a little couple dust-ups, right? So I don't know, man. I don't know how he's doing right now. I can tell you he did. He was not happy at the end of the season. He was not happy with the way things went. He was very disappointed in Mario Cristobal as a Cuban, uh, aside from being a football coach. So we'll see. I'm sure Raul is going to pop up sooner or later, and he's going to be disgruntled when he does. Yeah, I hope to hear from him soon. Hopefully he'll give us his thoughts on the 2022 season. I don't know that we've necessarily gotten them yet. So, uh, Carlos, thanks for coming on and uh, partnering with me on this. Make sure you check out his podcast, the MIA All Day Podcast. Uh, we will be back with more coverage over the summer as time progresses. Obviously, we do fewer and fewer of these episodes during this dry season, but as news persists, we will be on top of it. We will be reporting it. Uh, we will be talking about it on the show. In the meantime, enjoy Cinco de Mayo. Put your drinks up. I have my invisible drink here. I'm going to knock a few back. It ain't going to be a dry day today. I'll tell you that much. It's, Summer it's beer time, baby. Summer beer. Let's go. <laughs> Thanks for coming on, Carlos. Appreciate it, brother. All right. Go Canes. Go Canes.